welcome back to the Women in Technology DC podcast. Today, we have a chat with a board member of the National Technology Security Coalition, CISO or Corporate Information Security Officer for Unisys, and a dynamic, inspiring, and influential leader, Matt Newfield. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Christine, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me here. I know we've worked together, gosh, it was at TrueSecure, became CyberTrust, bought by Verizon, and then um, we did work together as well at Verizon and also IBM. How did you get interested or get started in information technology? So for me, it's a very interesting slash funny story. Early in my career, I had no interest in tech. I actually went to school to be a psychologist. That's what my dreams were. And right after graduation, I actually ran restaurants for a living. And I decided one day that it was not the career for me. Even being a general manager of a restaurant, just it wasn't a fulfilling career choice. And I remember I had a conversation with a friend one evening and I was discussing really what I wanted to do. And he said, look, Matt, I'm telling you, the future is tech. You need to go back to school and get your MCSE. And this is in the, I call them the olden days of MCSEs. So I went back to school specifically studying for the the Microsoft certification, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with everything technology, how it worked, why it worked, and obviously with what I do today, how can I break it and then make it better? Wow. That's so interesting that you actually studied psychology When you think about it, in technology and specifically in security, you have to learn how the developers think. So do you think that that kind of helped you with shaping how people think to forge or mold how technology works today? Absolutely. I think too many people look at technology, they look at cybersecurity, and they really just see the, you know, that quintessential ones and zeros. It's on, it's off, it's tech, it's tech. And they forget about the human side of technology, the human side of the experience that each of us has with our environments and our technical requirements to either do our jobs or to perform home functions, to do the general chores of our lives. And because of that, a lot of people forget that the adversaries that we face on a day-to-day basis have not forgotten that. Think social engineering. They have known about the human side of security for a very long time. And only recently do I believe that cybersecurity defensive capabilities are starting to take that in mind. And a really easy example of that is phishing, vishing, and smishing. It's been a problem for years for organizations and individuals who fall for fishes. We all hear of the old Nigerian scams. You know, there's a million dollars behind my dryer things. Mm -hmm. People still fall for those today. Why? Because adversaries write them in a way to make people feel like they have to do something. And they play on people's fears, they play on people's dreams and desires, and they are able to be very successful at it. My psychology background has really helped me in my career, helped me shape my message. It helped me shape the people that I surround myself with, the teams that I build, and the programs that we implement to help protect corporations. Of course, now you're a CISO. What keeps you up at night? (laughs) Everything. 
you know, to be a CISO, you really have to be the paranoid person. The biggest thing that keeps me up at night is the unknown, right? I know that we have a good program in place. I have amazing people that are monitoring our environment 24 by 7, 365. And I've, I've had a career, I call it a very lucky career, that I've been able to build relationships such as the one I have with you, where I know really great people in industry, and I can rely on those great people. But with all of that said, there is no percentage of success that matters in my world that's under 100. Right? It does not take a thousand people to click that phishing email for a company to have a problem. It really only takes one. And if you don't have the proper controls in place or the adversary has figured out a way around good, solid base controls, then you could have a problem. And that's really what keeps me up at night. I'll even extend it slightly further. If you look at the Ponymon studies of 2018 or so, and they talk about two terms that in my world for many, many years were foundational, it's MTTD and MTTR, mean time to detect, the mean time to respond or resolve an incident. And for the Fortune 1000 on average, it's not seconds, minutes, hours. It's not even days. It's months. It's greater than 200 days for most organizations to detect they've been breached and even longer for them to respond. And in our North Star, what we do, we're not talking months. We're not talking days or hours. We're talking seconds that we focus on how we are going to respond to these situations. So if you think about it, you ask what keeps me up at night. If you go to bed and let's say you are a very lucky individual and you get that full eight hours of sleep, Something occurs when you go to bed and you don't pick up the phone because you had shut it off or it's not near your bed for eight hours. What could have happened while you slumbered? That's what keeps most CISOs up at night. It's incredible. Um, I think when we first or when I started in True Secure, it was mostly look at this cool firewall that's about to be implemented. And now we're into the security incident or event management tools. So it's amazing. I don't know how you do it. I implement them during the day for programs at work. And usually it's only a few regions, but I know that you have so many regions under your belt in your territory. So kudos to you. I I really don't know how many hours of sleep you actually get. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're generally fitful. It's not uncommon to have the phone next to you and you roll over in the middle of the night and you go, I'm going to check my phone real quick. And you do that many, many times. And, And you know, it's funny, Christine, you said something I think is also important. I think the other reason a lot of sleepless nights occur and a lot of change has happened in our marketplace is because there's been a fundamental concept change that I'm seeing and that I've been pushing for a long time. And I'm going to say something that's a bit inflammatory, but hear me out. Prevention's dead and long live response. If you change the mindset and start to think, if I build a strong environment, but we focus on What are we going to do when bad things happen? How do I make sure if something happens, it is a non-newsworthy event, right? No data exfiltration, no website defacement, no hot problems, no ransom problems. That, 
to me is a much different mindset and takes a lot of work for organizations to do from a culture change to a budget change to a mind shift change. And that's something we've been heavily focused on for quite a while and also helps to ensure that hopefully at some point, more and more CISOs will be able to get some sleep. Yeah. And that's actually a very interesting perspective. As I mentioned, I've been working more on the prevention side of things, but I know we also have an arm for the uh, response. With all of what you've learned so far as a CISO, was there perhaps a mentor that taught you to think outside the box, just as what you said, where it's not necessarily prevention, it's more the response to think so uniquely? Is there someone that kind of taught you that as a mentor? So absolutely. I have been very fortunate to not just have one mentor. I actually have multiple mentors. And I think it's important that everybody do this. I have a mentor that is a real security-focused person. I've known her since True Secure days. And it's someone that I've always been able to rely on if I need advice, career advice, security advice, personal advice, and help me shape where my career was going. Not so that it was you know, ultimately where I am today, but so that I could bounce ideas off someone who's been there and done that. And she's been amazing. One of my other key mentors actually has nothing to do with this world. He's a CFO, right? And he, he's a business executive and entrepreneur. And I've been able to use him to give me advice on how do I communicate better. When I was younger in this career, I, like most people, were into the bits and bytes of the world. I like to talk a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I like to have those conversations where it's like, we got attacked a thousand times and we beat them back a thousand times and really get into this fuddy conversation. And he taught me over the years what really matters. How do I translate that into something a CEO, a CFO, or a board member would care about? And some of the analogies that we built together uh, and that I use pretty regularly come from him. And I'll, I'll give you one of them. I drove to this board meeting today. It's just an analogy. During my drive, does any board or business member care how many times I hit my brakes? How many near misses I may have had where someone ran a red light or they ran a stop sign? Or how hard I had to push my brakes? And the answer is no. They don't care. What they care about is that I arrived, I arrived safely, right? And I'm able to do my job. And if you think about that from a cybersecurity to business world, it's the same thing. Does the board or a CEO care how many times someone is beating on your external firewall? No, they don't. What they care about is what controls do you have in place that protect the organization, what their ROI or cost to implement, and what the business benefit of those controls are. And it's a much different mindset that you have to have and that I've learned from my mentors that have allowed me to stay in roles longer than, you know, the, the running joke, which is sisters get fired every two years. <laughs> you laugh. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's so great because I know I could be quite verbose sometimes in my statuses, but it's really trying to learning your audience, I guess. Um, exactly. But going back to your first mentor that you mentioned, I love it that you have many. It brings about 
multifaceted results, I guess, where your your input is from many different individuals that can give different various backgrounds and lessons for you. Now, in your leadership roles at various companies, what advice do you have to retain strong women, such as that first primary mentor you mentioned, to retain strong women in their technical positions or to help them advance into leadership roles? I'm going to add a third to that. It's how do you open up opportunities for women in a field that is predominantly male-dominated? Oh, absolutely. Um, Let's start with that one. You know, it's interesting. Over the past many, many years, uh, I've been working with diversity teams to try to help solve this problem. We always hear these metrics of cybersecurity is 11% women, which is actually, I think, an inflated number because a lot of CISO organizations have non-cyber individuals that tag themselves as cybersecurity, but maybe something else within that organization. So I think that the number's worse than already a very bad statistic. And my mentor has told me this, and quite a few other people have brought this to my attention, which would be difficult for a man, in my opinion, to understand. So we need to just change. And and it was about basically how jobs are posted and the mentality difference on how those postings may be viewed by potential candidates coming from different backgrounds, man versus woman, maybe a minority, maybe someone who is newer to the industry or to the region in which that job is posted. They may not understand. And one of them is a lot of times in cybersecurity jobs, the requirements for the job and the posting are generally unattainable. I need 25 years of cybersecurity experience, right? These kinds of nonsensical things. I need someone who has a CIS major at their university. I need someone who's mastered these four or five or six or nine technologies, when in reality, you don't. And if you put requirements in your postings, you are going to hurt yourself and your organization, because some of the greatest people will not apply for that job because they think they don't meet your minimum criteria. And I think we in the hiring world have to step back and change our mindsets and look outside the box. So I'll give you a great example. One of the key leaders in my organization has a political science background, wanted to get into politics in her career. And when we met and started working together at one of the organizations that I was at, I quickly was able to see that she had an aptitude for cyber in our conversation. She showed this desire to learn. And I was able to get her into the roles needed to get to where she is today, which is a direct report of mine at a public company. And she's amazing at what she does. But she's even told me she never would have applied for these jobs in the past, because if you looked at her resume when we first met, she did not have the experience that she thought would be required. So I know that's a long-winded beginning to it, but I think it's critically important. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I think that's absolutely critical. With what you said, where the job description might be too far gone, and women mostly when they look at jobs, sometimes they want to make sure that they are qualified for that job. But a lot of us will not even touch it. 
not even uh, within an inch. We're not even going to get close to it because we already think after that third bullet that we're not fully qualified for the job. Exactly. If you do not put yourself in the shoes of others, if you do not take a deep breath and listen, and I think that's the critical thing, listen to perspectives that are different than your own and make rational decisions based on those perspectives, you are going to continue proliferating a major problem in our industry. And that's what we see today with a very male-dominated focus. And it just can't be that way. So you talk about how do you retain women in this field? And I think it's a very similar approach. You need to make sure that in your organization, you have a good balance of diversity in your organization. I understand now, and it's taken me a while because, again, it's all about perspectives. It's all about what your history has been, of what it means to have people that think like you, look like you within your organization so that you feel that kind of a connection. So those individuals that may be out there that think, I have one woman in my CISO organization, I'm successful, I hope that they think again. To be honest, I hope nobody thinks that way. But unfortunately, as you and I can both imagine, there's probably a lot of that out there. And you need to take chances, to your point, on people that may not have that perfect background, but that you can help mold and grow and help really meet the dreams that they have inside of this field. And you need to take chances on people. If you think about that 11% pool, and let's be more realistic and go maybe 8 to 10%, there is not a huge pool of women in cybersecurity today to even look at to bring into an organization as a quote-unquote expert. It's just they're not there. So you need to start thinking again outside the box and looking at people that come from these diverse backgrounds. And as I said, I'm a psychologist. That's what I wanted to be. One of my key individuals in my organization, key leaders, wanted to be in politics. So when I'm talking to universities, when I'm looking around my own organization, and I don't mean my office, I'm talking the entirety of the organization, I talk to people who have no cyber backgrounds, because I can teach you cyber. What I look for are curiosity. I look for people who are curious. I look for people who like to break then fix things. I look for people who don't take answers solely at face value. And they like to ask questions. You know, that question like, why? Why is that the answer? Why is the sky always blue? Why does that box always blink three times then two times in a red tone? I'm making all that up, obviously. But I'm looking for that because it's hard to train a personality. It's hard to train a mindset easy to train cybersecurity. It's easy to train technology. And again, yeah. if you start thinking that way, you can really attract a diverse pool of individuals to come work with you. Yeah, with all the different backgrounds. That's just fantastic. And I'm so glad. And you articulated that so beautifully and perfectly. There are job descriptions out there that will ask for, let's say, at least five years experience, yet the title is an entry-level position. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right in saying that you can't train the soft skills or curiosity, the love and passion for learning and growing within technology. 
Christine, you hit the nail on the head. It's the absolute correct thing. And again, that new mindset where I don't have to have all cyber experts as they come into the organization is important. And I will tell you, one of the other benefits for anybody in leadership that's listening to this, nothing builds loyalty in both directions between you and the person that you've brought in and that person to you than taking a chance on somebody. Obviously, they have to be calculated risks. We're not just out there, I'm hiring everybody that applies and hoping for the best. But those calculated risks go a long way and will build loyalty. And loyalty is really what matters in our industry. And I always tell students and, and younger people as they're working in their careers, it's not important what you know, because that I can teach you. It is even less important who you know. What's really important is who knows you. And I only say that because a lot of people think that it is a manager or leader's responsibility to bring someone up through the ranks. But I put a lot of the onus back on the individual as well. Build a personal brand. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're born in one country or you've moved into that country, none of that matters. Build a brand. Build a brand around your brain, your thoughts, your visions, your advice. And that can transcend a lot of the man versus woman. Again, you know, the different statuses in certain countries of individuals can wash away when you start thinking like that. Yeah, that is so magnificently and very well said. And now you are a true leader in the technology area, specifically in cybersecurity. What advice do you have for male leadership regarding supporting women in technology? So I think the biggest thing that men need to do is listen. We need to listen. And we need to take a deep breath and understand another perspective. It may be similar to yours, and it may be completely different than yours, depending on a myriad of factors. How were you raised? Who raised you? Where you were raised? At what time were you raised? What your experience in your career has been? There's a lot of factors there. But if you sit back and just listen, this isn't about you. When I'm in these situations, it is nothing to do with me. I'm not the star of that show. I am not the most important person in that conversation. I'm actually the exact opposite. I'm sitting in the audience. I'm not on stage. I am nothing other than the listener. And you need to listen and ask questions and help the person that you're working with in this question, the woman that you're working with, maybe understand your viewpoint later, but you need to understand hers. And you need to come to an alignment so that you can help mold a position for that person that they can be successful at, right? And take away some of the inherent maybe requests, the inherent requirements that make it such a male-dominated role so that a woman, to your point earlier, is comfortable that they can be successful in that role. It can be very simple things like understanding if the woman in that leadership position is a mother and needs to take time off for whatever reasons, that shouldn't be different than any man who wants to take time off. They shouldn't have to talk to you about picking a child up, for example, or having a child sick and be made to feel like that's 
less important than any other situation they may be experiencing. And I know that's a maybe a weird analogy to bring it up, but I only say that because it comes up a lot in my regular conversations. I will talk to someone, they're like, well, I can't really take that role because, you know, it is not uncommon during a work week for me to have to leave a little early to go pick a child up. And I always tell people, why does that matter? Don't take offense to this, but I don't care. You have a job, mm-hmm. you have a role, and you have deliverables, whatever those deliverables are. If you get those deliverables done, everything else doesn't matter. If you need to leave early to go do a thing, leave early to go do a thing. If you need to come in late because you need to do a thing, come in late because you're going to go do a thing. And again, to my point, it's just you have to think differently. You can't think, and I do quotes in the air that you can't see, so old school, so mired in mud or mired in an old way. You have to think different. Gosh, Matt, with everything that you're saying, it's like goosebumps right here, specifically for someone who is an advocate for women in technology. So I understood it before, but I understand it even more now why you are such an inspiring and influential leader. So let's do the last fire questions just for fun here. Homebrewed or Starbucks coffee? Homebrewed. If you can invent one thing, what would it be? I'm going to go really weird at a food replicator. The running joke my whole life with my mom and I are Trekkies. I've been a Star Trek fan all of my life. And we always said the coolest invention ever would be a replicator, a food replicator. It's a 3D printer of food. Oh, nice. Even better. All right. Last one. If you can invite one historical figure over dinner, who would it be? Albert Einstein. I would love to have a conversation with Albert Einstein. I think just understanding how you come up with the theories you come up with, how you turn them into mathematical formulas, to me, is mind-bending. And there are formulas that have stood the test of time. That would be who I would love to have a conversation with. That's a great figure. Okay, with that, we'd like to thank you, Matt, for joining us today. And you may find Matt on LinkedIn at Matthew Newfield. Remember, that's Matthew with one T. Thank you so much, Matt, for your time. It was such a wonderful conversation with you. Christine, it was my pleasure. It was an honor to speak with you again. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you soon. 